Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and one of us at least has read a lot of books in the last couple of weeks. I read a good book, but that book and our shared book, which was also a good book, that's the extent of my output, so you're well, not going to hear much from me. But. We just, we swapped. Last time I barely read anything, and this time you didn't, so yeah, it's I, just life gets you. I wrote about eight books worth of college football stories in the last two weeks. So. Well, and to be fair for me, like, I don't know, maybe three of these books were books that I had started and then just not finished, and then mm. I just finished them. There you go. So. Way to use your time productively. <laughs> All right, you can go first. Tell your book. Okay, well, I read The Unexpected President, The Life and Times of Chester A. Arthur. So my... Partner leaves the phone on. Sorry about that. Uh, my jaunt through the American presidents has reached President Arthur and uh, got to check out old Chad. One of the better books I read. Again, I, I got onto something. I did it with the Garfield book, and I did it as well with the Arthur book, where I just thought, you know, rather than a straight-up meat-and-potatoes biography, let's find a book about some interesting part of this president's life, and particularly for some of the less interesting presidents, that's been a pretty good strategy. So the story of Chester Arthur, such as it is, is pretty short and simple. Arthur was a politician's politician. He was part of the big corporate machine that ran New York's Republican Party, which really ran the country pretty much. Hmm. Uh, he was the vice presidential nominee as a concession to the uh, beaten machine party guys, uh, after Garfield was nominated. Garfield gets shot months into his presidency. Arthur becomes president when he dies a couple months later. Everybody kind of assumes he's in these guys' pockets because he's always been in their pockets. But there's a couple of interesting things with Arthur. And the most interesting is he gets this kind of perpetually ill uh, young single woman who writes him these deeply intense personal pleading letters telling him he has to be better than this. He owes it to himself. He owes it to the country. He can be a better man than he has ever been. And strangely, she's kind of right. He kind of does do that. He doesn't give in to the machine on everything. He doesn't run for another term. He finishes out Arthur, uh, uh, Garfield's term and, and shuffles out of the picture and there's a temptation to say, well, I mean, sure, that happened, but that couldn't have impacted him personally. Well, he kept her letters. Huh. So it did impact him pretty personally because he destroyed a lot of his papers late in his life. But for some reason, he kept these letters. Uh, so obviously, she, she meant something to him. And we have further proof of that. When a year into his presidency, he goes and sees her one day. Wow. Yeah. So, so we get that story, too. Um, how the President of the United States just shows up at this private residence to talk to this, you know, again, kind of perpetually ill spinster type uh, for an hour or so, and then heads off. Um, you know, it would be great to say Arthur became the greatest president ever. He didn't. He had his struggles. Again, he was unpopular enough. He didn't even get a nomination to be uh, reelected. But he was a better president than he would have been. And Julia Sand is the name of the lady who played some small role in that as a good citizen, guardian angel, uh, whatever you may say. So 
an unconventional story, story. but yeah, Yeah. a a cool one to get and one that's told well by Scott Greenberger and now on to Grover Cleveland. (laughs) You are just moving right along through all these presidents. Okay, I try. All right, my turn. You got any boring 19th century uh, historical characters to tell us about? Um, No, not at all. That didn't seem likely. Okay. So here's what I have read over the last two weeks. The first one is maybe my favorite thing that I read over the last two weeks, and it is Other Birds by Sarah Addison Adams, the Book of the Month club pick for September, and it is in the genre of magical realism, which, I don't know, I like I, I, I like most things in magical realism that I read, I just don't read a ton of them. Right, not, not a natural fit. This one was so beautiful, so kind. I feel like that the world is, I think I put this on Instagram, I feel like the world is just a little bit better because this book exists in the world. I really want to read some more things by this author now. I was going to say, if you write, you would love to have someone say that. You know, that's kind of like a life goal. It's just, it it feels like a glowing light. It's just so beautiful. So, um, the, I say the main character, but they're really like five main characters, um, she comes back home to her her mother's condo that she had owned before she married the girl's father and they moved far away. She never knew her mother and she is coming back home to kind of try to reclaim something of her mother there. But she meets all the other unique characters who live here in this condo. Um, the ghosts who live there that she's impacted by centers on an eccentric writer and a woman that he employed and her sister and another couple people who live there. I, it's really, really hard to describe. And it doesn't sound as good as, as good as it is by a long shot. But the magic woven through this is so beautiful. From the invisible bird that she calls pigeon to the Delawists that inhabit the courtyard the misunderstandings that weave themselves through families and the way that true love, the people that we really, really love, that love never goes away, even when the person is gone. Why am I not reading this? I mean, I'm listening to this and like, why am I reading a different book next? This is... Uh, it's just so gorgeous. The forms that, that love embodies, even when the person is gone. It's I cannot speak highly enough about this book. She also writes really gorgeously about food in this book. And um, I think I'm going to try to find her book Garden Spells next. I've heard that's also hmm. really good. Yeah. Um, you should read it. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, I heard you talk about birds. I thought you were talking about Bird by Bird, the, the Anne Lamott book. No, that is good too, but that's not what no. this one was. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably my favorite thing. Then I read some books that were just, you know, kind of light and silly, like I like to do. I read one that's called The Kiss Curse by Aaron Sterling. Um, it is a sequel to The X-Hex that I read last October by okay. her. I'm really hoping you're going to tell me this is a, like, romance novel that centers around a Kiss cover band, because that would, that would make my life complete. They're witchy books. You're supposed to read them in the <laughs> fall in September and October because they're that, about that witches. That could go with that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, thoroughly enjoyable <laughs> book. Just really kind of, you know, light, spooky mood to get you into the fall season. I liked the X-Hex last year. I think I liked the Kiss Curse better. It was just fun to read. I mean, I just eat too many things with pumpkin in them. You you read seasonal <laughs> books. Advantage you, I guess. Um, then I read When in Rome by Sarah Adams, which is just the 
sweetest, most sugar-filled book that I've probably read in ages, and I don't even care because I thoroughly loved it. It's um, a pop singer who tries to escape her life um, and following Audrey Hepburn's lead. Uh, do you remember Roman Holiday? Do you remember seeing it? Only very faintly. You know I've made you watch all the Audrey Hepburn movies. Yeah, but um, that one doesn't stand out to me for okay. some reason. Okay, in Roman Holiday, Audrey Hepburn is a princess who tries to escape her life by sneaking out the window. She runs into, I think it's Gregory Peck who plays the male lead. Oh, it was Cary Grant. But no, I it's not Cary Grant in this one. I know that. Okay. I think it's Gregory Peck. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, I'm not wrong. It is Gregory Peck. Mm. And he is a journalist, and they spend the day together, and then, you know, anyway. She's trying to escape from this life that she must ultimately return to. So this pop singer has watched Roman Holiday one too many times, and she decides to get out of Nashville and go to the closest Rome she can find, which is the fictional town of Rome, Kentucky. And that's where this book is set. It's just outrageously, adorably cute, and I really, really enjoyed reading it. Again, one of those comfort reads that I find myself returning to again and again lately. I also liked that it was set in Kentucky. That was fun. We have an Athens. We don't have a Rome. No, yeah. Um, the author said, I think at the end of it, that maybe it's Rome, Georgia. There's a there Rome. is a Rome, Georgia. She's, but yeah. she needed it to be closer than it was to Nashville. So she just made it up and put it in Kentucky. There you go. All right. Then um, I read While We Were Dating by Jasmine Guillory. I started that one a long, long time ago. And then I didn't finish it. It's one of the ones that I was like, hey, the podcast is coming. Let's just knock out the end of that one. I enjoy her books. You've heard me talk about them before. If you've read one of them, you know what they're all about, so I'm not going to go into it again. If you like her books, read it. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, that covers up all of my just like, you know, sweet little romance books. The next one I read is called Food Rules by Michael Pollan. I'd never read anything by him, I don't think. But um, he's a pretty prolific writer, and I picked this one... Because I read it electronically. I couldn't see how long it was or short or anything, really. I just picked it because I liked the premise. The idea that he was going to give you um, rules for what you ought to be eating based on a variety of um, different little categories for these rules. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate more healthy stuff into the life of a person who really, really loves French fries and Diet Coke. That person being me. And um, so I just kind of wanted to, to, to see how he would line things up. And I really enjoyed this book. It turned out to be much shorter than I expected because each food rule took up like maybe a page. Um, they were really simple. I don't, I'm not going to change all of my eating habits right now, but I did feel like reading this book, there were some pretty simple things that I could, some, some simple changes that I could make to start to move that way and I don't think I'm an outrageously unhealthy eater anyway. I make a lot of vegetables. I love a lot of vegetables. I'm really probably more vegetarian than I am a meat eater. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you would do better were it not for my evil influence, probably. <laughs> but I do like a lot of, like, salty and fried things. Oh, yeah. And I would just kind of like to, to shift. And I thought that this book gave some good guidelines for doing that. The last thing that I read was another book that I just finished up this afternoon. It's Cold Tangerines by Shauna Nequist. I have also talked about Shauna Nequist a million times on here. I don't really do book challenges like you do, this presidential thing that you've got going on. But I decided that I wanted to start at the beginning of Shauna Nequist's work and read all the way through to the end, with the exception of her devotional book, Savor, which mm -hmm. is 
know, 365 devotions. So that's not really on the table. But Cold Tangerines was her first one, and it's a book about celebration. It is written in her characteristic style, which is all kind of memoirish essays, but they deal with the theme of celebration and, and with how we find celebration even when life is really hard. Um, it's beautifully written. She has a true gift for, um, for perfect metaphors, and she just writes about real life really, really well. I relate strongly to whatever she writes, and I enjoyed this reread very much. I like an author-centric thing. I, I had one going before I started The President. So I was trying to go through all of Faulkner, and I made mm-hmm. it about 40%, but it'll... It'll be there when You'll I finish, back. as yeah. long as I'm alive long enough to finish it. You <laughs> well, know. Bittersweet will be my next one by Shauna Nequist, but I'm not well, even going to pick it up yet because I'm in the middle of several things that I really need to make some movement on. So it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to work through this, but it's not necessarily going to be really fast. Also, recently on her social media, Shauna Nequist posted about the Copper Book app, which is an alternative to Goodreads, and it's basically centered around the idea that Authors need help to connect with their readers. So if you are on Copper Books on that app, let me know because I, um, I'm i on it. I haven't done anything with it, and I'm just I'm very interested in this app. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I it's mean, really pretty. You, you looked at it more in depth than I did. I was just curious enough to take a peek and was like, oh, I can get that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like hold events on it, um, live events, and they, they do discussions. So like... If you have a piece of a book or anything about a book that you want to post a question about, you can post it and other people can discuss it. I think it looks really interesting. I just would like to know a couple more people on there. Sounds like a good goal. Okay, I'm done. Now let's talk about our shared read. Okay, our shared read. And I actually read it first, lo and behold. (laughs) was Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church by Caitlin Beatty. And you listened to this book. I did. And I did it electronically. I am actually trying to learn to read some books electronically. It's still not my favorite way. It's never going to be my favorite way. But I enjoyed reading this one. Yeah, it was an interesting book. It's written in a fairly light, approachable way. It's a pretty quick read. Um, And Caitlin Beatty, who I know she talked at one point about having done some editing work, but... I believe she wrote for Christianity Today. Do I have that right? I think right? she did that too. I think yeah. she may currently be an editor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was never really clear on what exactly she does besides write books because this, I don't think, is her first one. Yeah, it, it, there was definitely an angle in, in publishing and, and that was one of the things that was revelatory. But anyway, we're getting the, the cart ahead of the horse. Um, nonfiction book that talks about the uncomfortable relationship between, I don't know, mainstream pop culture fame and evangelical Christianity. And And really just goes in to highlight the danger of the way that the church has started to elevate its own celebrities in the way that the um, modern world elevates its own celebrities. The dangerous, for your faith anyway, the dangerous way that those two things are conflated. Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously a tradition of celebrity preachers uh, well before modern media even, but you know, it's really taken hold in the last couple generations. And she does a really good job of kind of laying that out, starting with Billy Graham and then working her way through some of the most popular and newsworthy um, 
preachers who have kind of led the church movement. She also looks at um, pop culture figures who converted to Christianity. She talks about Kanye West. She talks about Justin Bieber. She talks about your favorite Bob Dylan. Um, and and just takes a broad look at what this what this does um, to the church itself, how it changes the way the church is viewed by Americans and the way that the church views itself mm-hmm. and why the church might go to the trouble of um, kind of deifying regular people in the church. Well, you know, between courting actual celebrities, again, the Justin Biebers and uh, of the world, uh, and, and making pastors celebrities... I mean, I think her overall tone here isn't to say, how dare you ever become famous? It's just to say, no. do it with caution. Yeah, I, I don't think that she's at all saying that fame in itself is a wrong thing. She goes to great lengths to talk about how Billy Graham, in particular, you know, used the tools of modern media to spread the word of Christ. Um, it's not wrong to use those things. And you often can't control whether or not fame finds you. Look right. at the viral videos of today. You know, you are not solely responsible for how, especially in today's media culture, fame gets created and then destroyed. Like, one person can't control that. But we have to be so careful, especially in the church, about how we let fame take us over. Mm. Both the people who are famous and then the ones of us who are making them famous and cultivating that culture. So I was really interested in how she spent a lot of time talking about, you know, Jesus praised the meek and the humble, but we in the church are making it okay for like a pastor to make hundreds of millions of dollars that he doesn't disclose you know, how he got it or what, Yeah, a lack know. of transparency was one of her big mm-hmm. things. I um, mean, that, that, that's a buzzword for trouble. Yeah. And she also talks about how we, as the people who put leaders in that position, um, the, the dangers for us of putting a human being on that kind of a pedestal and feeling like we are personally invested in the life of someone we don't know. One of the big things that stood out to me about this was, again, going back to the Billy Graham section, where Graham was often called America's pastor, which is cool, except that, as she points out, and I just thought this was really good, a pastor is somebody you know and who knows you. That's that's the point of a pastor. If the person doesn't know you, if the person would never call you when your grandfather died, if the person would never come to your house or, you know, take your telephone call, that's not your pastor. Yeah, yeah. And... For uh, but but we as people who you know maybe would listen to him on the radio or watch him on TV, we felt like we knew him in a way that he may not have known us. Yeah, and that's dangerous for us to put somebody up like that and to to mistake the importance. She um, spends some time talking about the importance, of course, of knowing your local people. Going back to that transparency thing you were talking about, that it's just. She goes to through warning signs, really. She doesn't mm-hmm. make a list of them, yeah. but warning signs for the idea that that a a pastor or spiritual leader is getting away from the actual teachings of Jesus and is feeding more into the um, cult of fame and popularity. So things like the lack of transparency in where he gets his money, or and I say he, I'm not sure she she didn't really talk about a lot of women. 
there's a lot of men. Yeah. Um, so where the money gets comes from and where it gets spent, um, who the person spends time with, it's a warning flag if all of a sudden this pastor or leader does not meet with people who want to meet with him. Yeah, lack of access. Yeah, got yeah. a security detail, you know, his own private entrance, all those kinds of things. And these were things that just, you know, they, they just do make you sit back and think and kind of reevaluate mm-hmm. what we have taken for granted living in a culture that is so fed on celebrity. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I was saddened to remember some of the missteps that she chronicles, but I appreciated that it wasn't just look at these fools and how they mess things up. It's more, why did this get messed up and how might we, you know, as a church and as followers do a better job of promoting a healthier climate where, again, nobody's saying avoid celebrity. How, how could you? Yeah. Uh, but to be transparent in it, to be thoughtful in it, uh, and to try to spend maybe more time keeping Christianity Christian than to keep it cool or to keep it popular. Right. The tone of the book was not judgy. The tone, she never rejoiced in any pastor's downfall. No, she Um, talked about how some of them were heartbreaking for her, how these were people who she had really thought a lot of and, and followed. And some of these were kind of heartbreaking for me as there were some of these stories that I didn't know all of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see all this stuff and to think about how thoroughly sad it is that we've let these things happen. Um, so, yeah, that was more her tone. And then just the idea of how can we how can we stop it? How can we fix it? How can we be more careful not only for ourselves, but to also help these leaders who are just human beings? Yeah, at the end of the day. And, oh, one more thing. I really appreciated how she, in telling the stories, I didn't feel like she was exceptionally highlighting any one part of this, but it was, it became obvious in reading them that none of these people started out or didn't give no appearance of starting out trying to get to this level of fame, this level of fortune. It was always with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, we can use this tool. We can grow. We can teach. We can share. And then they, you get seduced by fame. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was like six years old and wanted my mom to take me to Hollywood because I knew that I could be a singer. Um. <laughs> you got to warn me before you spring stuff like that on me. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be stone-faced over here. <laughs> My mom was already telling me then about the trappings of fame, and I wish that somebody, one of these people, would have had a mom who would have told them not to do that. (laughs) Would have had a mom who was kind enough, rather than say, sweetie, that's never going to happen, to say, you don't really want that anyway, darling. God bless her. She's Hmm. a sweetheart. Anyway, that is the book book Celebrities for Jesus by Caitlin Beatty. It is... Totally worth a read, definitely. Mm-hmm. If you have read this book, if you have any um, thoughts on it or on anything else that's along this line that you think that we might also be interested in reading, please let us know. You can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, and on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. For next time... Yes, we uh, 
I've got to find out how I'm still going to get in my recommended daily allowance plus some pumpkin-flavored things. So <laughs> I am following your lead and reading food rules. So feel free to join along. Uh, you know, I could use a little structure and discipline in what I eat. It is really short, and we can uh, we'll bring you our favorite rules next time. <laughs> I don't think I'll have favorite <laughs> rules, but ones that offend me least, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, whether you're eating or reading or reading about eating or eating and thinking of reading or plotting to tell your mom how kind she was for not letting you be seduced by the glamour of Hollywood, whatever else you're doing, please keep reading. Bye.